here we go. The, the problem with series, a series of about problems, which isn't always the most inspiring way to speak, to tell you the truth. But uh, I'm looking at spiritual problems, problems that we can have in our connection with God. And of course, if you talk about spiritual problems, you're not talking about God. I mean, I don't think God's got any spiritual problems, to tell you the truth. But what we're talking about is maybe some of the issues that arise because of the dust of our humanity, our limited human understanding. And uh, so we've been doing a series on this. We've looked, and, and, and I have been trying to be intentionally controversial with this, probably just to get our attention. I'm not trying to undermine you know, a foundation of belief that you've held for a long time. What I'm trying to do is maybe add some different perspectives, maybe add some depth to some things and get us to rethink some things. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so I'm going to begin by looking at cliches. Cliches, uh, we all use them. We tend to spit them out without really thinking very much about them. And uh, interestingly, that is the dictionary definition of a cliche, is an an opinion or a phrase that is given without much thought. That's literally what cliche means. Uh, And the fact is, we use them because generally there's an element of truth in them. For example, if, uh, if I said to you, you only get what you pay for. Anyone who's ever bought a t-shirt at a cheap outlet knows what I'm talking about after the third wash. True? Uh, any bloke here who's gone somewhere and bought cheap tools, the second time you use them, you go, I'm never going to buy cheap t- tools again. Uh, you get what you pay for, and there's truth in that. But the fact is, as Christians, as the church, as spiritual people, we are not immune from our cliches. And we just tend to take them at face value. We don't put a lot of thought into it. And what I want to do today is make us think about a particular cliche. God is in control. God is in control. Well, I mean, he is the creator, creator of the universe. I mean, theologians have got a word for him which says omnipotent. In other words, that means all powerful. So of course, if God is all powerful, of course he's in control. There's an element of truth in that. Um, And so I understand, you know, in that sense, what we're saying. But I want to speak to us today about the problem with saying God is in control. Because if we're not careful, we unwittingly forge false or misleading images of God's character and nature when we make statements like that without thinking them through, without applying a a bit of thought to them. And when we say God is in control, I know what we're trying to say. What we're trying to say is God's got it. Don't fear. God's got it. But I think sometimes in our imagination that translates into something really different that's not necessarily helpful. Like God is a... Cosmic insurance policy. A divine shield that will guard me from anything that might undermine my happiness. God is in control. Next week I might be looking at, and you're the only service I've told this, I might look at God is on our side. And the problem with saying that. 
But God is in control. See, if, if you say, well, he shields you from everything that would not make you happy and God is in control, that makes people, particularly people who aren't necessarily on a journey with Jesus, ask this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because see, if God's in control, then he could have controlled it. He could have stopped it. You know, why did this happen to me? That shouldn't happen to anyone. That raises questions like that. And we can unwittingly present an image of God that does not serve God well, that does not reflect him clearly. And the greatest reason God is in control is a problem is because God doesn't do control. God does love. He doesn't do control. He does love. And so I want to look at God's love really quickly in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It's a beautiful passage of of Scripture. And uh, it simply says, You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who though he existed in the form of God, though he had all power, though he could control anything he wanted as the creator, as the spoken word, the New Testament tells us, as the creator of the universe, he could do what he wants, though he was in the form of God. Yet he did not consider or regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. This is a Greek word, Kenosis. And I'm going to use this a little bit in this message, and I'd love us as a church to grab a hold of this understanding of God. This word literally means what it says translated there self emptying. He emptied himself. He went through a kenosis, though in the form of God, with all potential for control and power. He emptied himself. Now we've got to understand that the clearest we'll ever see God is in Jesus. So there are lots of images of God in the God story through history. There's a lot of earlier images. But Jesus came so that we could finally look in the face of God and know who God is. Know how God is, His character, His nature in the world. You'll never see God clearer than you see Him in the face of Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, if we read older stories with uh, less clear images of God from earlier in the history, we'd better be reading them through the lens of Jesus Christ or we come up with a very distorted image of who God is. Jesus came so that we could actually understand who God is. And it's not like God became a new God in the New Testament. Jesus revealed who God always was, even though that might not be how people always perceived him to be. And uh, and so here we have Jesus emptying himself on, taking on the form of a slave by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And what we see here is that Jesus emptied himself, did not think that control and power was the ultimate goal, but empties himself on behalf of others so that others can live. In other words, although he had all power, he surrendered all power to the agenda of love. 
And this is how we know. God does love because God can't do anything else. John says it so clearly. God is love. God is like many things. There's plenty of metaphors, but one thing he is, is love. And, uh, and G- when you look at Jesus and you see God, Jesus put it this way in John 14 so clearly. If anyone's seen me, he's seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. That plain, that, that, that simple. And there's this self-emptying, giving of self so that others can live the love of God. But because God does love, he allows some things to exist that love requires. And the first of these is natural law. Natural law. What makes the world go round and the world work? Are you glad you can stand up? Glad you've got some muscle tone? Glad you can feed yourself? Thank gravity. You know, if it wasn't for gravity, we wouldn't develop any muscle tone, any bone strength or anything. We'd just be flopping all around the place like fish or floating three feet off the air. I'm not sure which. I didn't go into it too scientifically. But basically, gravity is what gives us muscle tone and enables us to do so much. Are you glad that you woke up this morning and could breathe this beautiful, crisp mountain air? Life-giving atmosphere. You know, it only exists on Earth because of gravity. Gravity's holding it down on the surface of the earth for us. Isn't that cool? Aren't you glad that things travel in a predictable direction when you go to the toilet? Come on, let's be human. Just being human. That's gravity. So let's give it a shout for gravity. Woo! Gravity's a good thing. Unless you fall off a tall building. Then gravity bites. Gravity sucks and sometimes we're tempted to blame God. But God has created an environment of freedom so that we can flourish. The other thing that, uh, and we could look at weather patterns, we could look at all kinds of things, but I think you get the point. The other thing that God allows to exist is human freedom. And we love our freedom, don't we? Come on, be honest. Don't you love your freedom? Freedom to get up, decide what you're going to have for breakfast. Yeah? We love our freedom until someone else uses their freedom in such a way that it impacts us. Someone lies at the border and brings coronavirus into your community. And then we don't love human freedom. But because God loves us... He gives us human freedom because freedom, uh, sorry, love cannot exist except in an environment of freedom. So here's Brad, cuddly Brad, Pastor Brad. Who loves Pastor Brad? We all love Pastor Brad. Um, if there was a little robot that Brad had, because he is a bit of a tech geek, so he'd have something like that, wouldn't he, Abby? He'd have a, yeah, he'd have a toy robot. If he had a little robot that was like a teddy bear, that came to him every morning and had been programmed to throw his arms around Brad and say, I love you, Pastor Brad. Would any of us actually believe that that robot loved Brad? No, the robot's just doing what it's programmed to do because love cannot exist in an environment of control. There has to be freedom. And at times, that 
does have consequences. Now, we understand as people what control is because people do control all the time. We actually love control and sometimes it's good. I mean, at the moment, we're living in the best state still just by nose. But we've been enjoying a lot of freedom because government have exercised great control. And if you're not happy with where you're living, you're probably living in Victoria. (laughs) Because there was a distinct lack of control that would have been good at a certain point in that journey. So some control is good and helpful and some isn't. Uh, Violent people are just doing control. That's what violence is. It's the attempt to control other people. Sometimes in our relationships, we practice unhealthy control when we say things to get a response. If I say this, they will do that. If I say this, they will think that and I will move them according to my agenda. And that is control. People are very good at it. Human beings, we're very good at it. Sporting teams do control. It's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It just is. Parents can practice a healthy form of control with boundaries that keep kids safe or an unhealthy form of control that manipulates and dominates. People are very good. We are very well versed at control. The problem comes is when we project the image of our humanity onto God and we believe that God is just like a big person when all of Scripture tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He thinks differently to us. So if we think God's in control, we tend to think God's in control like a person would be in control. And that is a problem. That is a problem. But you can see genuine love in humanity. If I I give an example of canonic love, what I'd call that self-emptying love, marriage. No wonder God picked marriage as a metaphor for God and his people, Christ and the church. It's a perfect metaphor because ultimately for a marriage to not only be survivable, but to be happy and thriving. What it requires is two people to lay down their agendas, even though we might say, I know what I want and I know exactly when I want it. To actually surrender to the other person and go, not my will, but I will self-empty. I will empty myself of self to create space in this relationship for you to thrive. And if that is reciprocated, you have a healthy, vibrant, happy marriage where two people are surrendering their desire to control so that there is space for the marriage to thrive. That is canonic love. It's a human reflection of the kind of love that God gives towards us. You can see it clearly with parenting, childbirth. Whoa, whoa that's, that's self-giving. And all the ladies who've had children said, amen. Uh, think about it as parents, like you're prepared to change mountains of nappies, <laughs> dirty nappies at 2 a.m., my favourite kind. Thankfully, it's a distant memory. 
You're prepared to go to sporting matches. You're prepared to sit and do homework year after year. If that is an environment of canonic love in the home, it will even trade in the keys to the muscle car for a minivan. Now that is canonic love. So we see reflections of God's love in humanity. It's it's possible. That's what God does. God has emptied Himself to create a freedom that we can thrive within and it's our choice whether we enter that freedom or not or whether we go on trying to control our world, trying to control one another, trying to control a spouse in unhealthy ways. It's our choice and God invites us into the story. See, if you look at children and parenting, Sex creates babies. That's just natural law. Natural law, human freedom. Sex, baby. But only love can raise a child. Only love can build a home, build a family. And that's why in our society, if we remove God from the equation, we we remove the understanding of canonic love, society begins to unravel and history proves it again and again and again and again and yet this morning there's an invitation for us to be like our master to reflect a more accurate image of who God is through our understanding of of what who God is that is love self-giving self-sacrificial love he doesn't do control he does love. So I've got some questions. And the first one is this. Just put ourselves. Uh, you know, I'm obviously not asking you to consider yourself God here with this question. But just ask yourself this question. It's healthy. If I was God, w- would I like the kind of God I am? Would I want to serve the kind of God I would be? If I was given all power to control everything, would that be a good thing? Really? Or would I be surrendering? If that was the case, would I be the kind of God that would surrender everything so that others could live? Because that's the picture we have. That's the model we have. That's the face of God we look into when we look into the face of Jesus Christ. Another question is, uh, where am I or have I been? Am I currently tempted? Let me get to my notes. To blame God for things that people are responsible for. I think that's a trap we can all fall into. The next question is very similar. Is where, uh, when have I questioned the love of God because of the consequences of natural law? When a tragedy happens or something like that, we can question the very nature of God and that is pinned back to the sense that we think God is controlling everything now I know God can and that's what we call a miracle when we through faith bring God into a situation anything is possible even against the natural flow but the world we live in has its limits last couple of questions um Are there situations in my life where I reflect God poorly by my practice 
of controlling others in our relationships you know, just wherever we're at whatever sphere of influence we're in are there areas where I actually project a poor image of who God is through my control my determination to manipulate other people last question is where do I need to lay down control and trust love where in my life do I just need to lay down control and trust love because ultimately this is the gospel of Jesus Christ this is why Jesus came so that we would stop having to feel like we have to manipulate and dominate and control everything and everyone around us and could get to a point where we can actually trust and surrender to self-giving love. In Christ, we finally have someone whose every motive, every action has been to bring us life so that we might have life and have it abundantly scripture says and it only comes through surrender have you noticed that it's when you surrender as pastor sue preached a couple of weeks ago you surrender your agenda and you allow god to be god in your world why don't we stand together and i'd love to pray for us if you're happy to stand with me please do and uh father i thank you for uh this morning i thank you for your word and i pray This has brought some clarity to us. It's challenged us. It's added to us. It's brought a new facet, a new dimension to our thinking. And I I pray for us all that we could reflect you more accurately through self-giving love, through making self take a back seat in the circumstances of our life. People could see Christ in us. In Jesus' name. And just while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, hey, you might be here on a bit of a journey with God. Maybe you've never got to the point of trusting love the way I've been talking about it, trusting Jesus the way I've been talking about it. But just right now in the closing moments of the service, you have an opportunity to do that. Just right where you stand, you can surrender your heart. You can open your heart and say, God, I want to trust love. Maybe you can see where you've tried to dominate your situation or you've tried to manipulate others you've tried to make you've tried to control life and it hasn't worked for you and I want to encourage your friend your answer is in God's self-giving love your, your answer is to identify with Jesus and allow him to change you as you get to know him allow him to transform you to be someone just like him you can do that right where you stand. Maybe you want to raise a hand to heaven and say, God, that's me. I just want to give my heart over to you this morning. Awesome. Give my heart over to you. I surrender to you. I I want to know the freedom, the love that's in Christ. In Jesus' name. That's awesome. You can put your hands down again. Wonderful. 